When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And hi again, everybody. I am grateful that you are here for a very special podcast as we reflect back on three years ago today. But first, I want to tell you that we are brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. And I will tell you a story about New Works a little bit later in the podcast, but they have been with me from day one. They are awesome and they are available around the clock. So if you have an emergency in the middle of the night, no problem. They'll be there with their 24-7 service. New Works Plumbing, they've got a fix for you. Just go to newworksplumbing.com. That's newworksplumbing.com. They've got a fix for you. Three years to the day, June 2nd, 2020, I was informed that I was being fired by Bonneville International. The day before, I was extremely disappointed that I did not get a chance to go on the radio and talk to an audience that I had been talking to for 26 years. I was bitterly disappointed that I did not get that opportunity. And I'm so grateful that I have other forums now where I can speak live to my audience. But June 1st, I thought I would be able to go on the radio that afternoon after on May 31st, the night before from my living room, I tweeted out all lives matter every single one. About 30 minutes before I was supposed to go on the radio on June 1st, my wife sent me a message that said, you speak your truth today. If it's your day, then make it count. Show everyone your love, compassion, anger about the senseless killings. I am praying your dad sits with you today and you will have peace, the right words to say, and that they will be well received. I never got that opportunity. My dad, of course, a civil rights activist. My dad, who preached equality, he preached always helping out your fellow man, preached always helping out your neighbor, always helped minorities. I've shared so many stories about how I was raised and my dad, and I'm actually grateful that my dad is not alive during this time and this horrible time, in my opinion, in the United States. But June 2nd, at about 2.35, 2.40 in the afternoon, I was notified via a phone call that I was being terminated for cause after 26 years. I didn't have any blemishes on my record. I had a clean record with HR. Didn't matter that I had a foundation where I put over 100 
minority children, mostly minority, I should say, at need, underprivileged, black, Hispanic, Asian, white. We had a young gal who graduated from UC Davis with honors, who moved here from Pakistan when she was eight. My wife ended up mentoring her because we mentored all of our students. But the fact that I never got an opportunity to go on the radio and speak to my audience is something that I still do not understand. I will never understand that. And of all the things that have happened to me, that's probably what I was uh, disappointed with as most. The other thing I was disappointed with, and I think that most people that have gone through what I've gone through, or you know, whether it's a breakup in your marriage or whatever the case may be, you really understand who your real friends are in life. MLK said, in the end, we will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. I clearly know who my friends are now. I cherish my friends. I know who I can count on and who I can't. And I'm not saying that I would wish anyone to go through what I went through to find out that harsh reality. But you know what? There's always a positive in every situation. And I now know who are my loyal friends and who I can count on. And if I'm in need, I can just pick up the phone and I know that they will do whatever I need. And that is a great feeling to have. Where are we three years later in America as it pertains to all lives matter, every single one? I think that a lot of eyes have been opened on this topic. I think slowly but surely the country is starting to come around. Although when you see what happened to Glenn Kuyper, the longtime television voice of the Oakland A's and how quickly his career was swallowed up and flushed down the toilet, it still shows that we have a long way to go. We live in a country of double standards. We live in a country of hypocrisy. And until the double standards are wiped out, then I still think we're going to have many, many problems. Social media is a huge problem in this country. The summer of 2020, I talked about the great tweet from Kevin Euclid, the former MLB player who put out on Twitter, the mental health and well-being of our country is deteriorating and social media is the culprit. The constant hatred towards others that don't share the same opinions is tiresome and unhealthy for our society. We all need to be better so the next generation is healthier and happier. 2020 was also the summer of Deshaun Jackson of the Philadelphia Eagles and his uh, anti-Semitic comments. And Mitch Album, the award-winning author of several books and a renowned columnist from the Detroit Free Press, after a couple of days went by, he wrote, silence is compliance. That's a popular sentence today. But you can't be selective with your noise. Not against hate. For all the bigoted garbage stirred up against Jews last week, it was disturbingly quiet out there. We should think twice about why that is. Two days after I was terminated by Bonneville International and resigned from the Kings, Malcolm Jenkins, the outstanding defensive back of the Saints, who came out and was extremely critical because Drew Brees talked about how he believes standing for the national anthem. And Malcolm Jenkins talked, among other things, about Jewish people. And he said, quote, 
Jewish people aren't our problem and we aren't their problem. We've got a lot of work to do and this ain't it. Again, can you believe that comment? Jewish people aren't our problem and we aren't their problem. We've got a lot of work to do and this ain't it. How sad of a comment is that? That because of your religion, because of your ethnicity, all of a sudden, that's not your problem. Again, as Mitch Album wrote so eloquently, you can't be selective with your noise, not against hate. Well, Malcolm Jenkins, very selective with his noise and his hate when he said that Jewish people aren't our problem. Jewish people are people just like Catholic people and Protestant. We can go on down the list, right? We live in a society where there's so much finger pointing that goes on. And we always, and and I'm generalizing here, so many people forget the basics in life. It does not take a lot to be kind. One of my favorite podcasts was when I had my former partner on KHDK, Mike Lamb. And Mike Lamb came out on my podcast, and Mike grew up in Clovis outside of Fresno and ended up getting a football scholarship to play at USC. And he talked about growing up in a redneck community, and that's all he knew. He didn't know anything else. He wasn't exposed to any other culture. He was only exposed to what he knew in the very small area of Clovis. And he said when he went to USC, it was an eye-opening experience, and it changed him as a man being around people of different ethnicities and different religions, being around black people like Ronnie Lott and Marcus Allen and how they lived and the differences of what their life was like compared to Mike's and all the other different players that were on the USC football team. And Mike talked about how people need to go up to a stranger who doesn't sound like you, who doesn't look like you, and break bread and sit down and learn about that person. And Mike said that, you know, more times than not, you will find out how much you have in common with that individual. And that is so accurate. When when we moved to Miami in September of 2020, I met an individual at the restaurant that was on the well, in our neighborhood. It was really the only restaurant uh, on our neighborhood, in our neighborhood. And I was sitting at the bar watching a game and the restaurant was very empty that night. And in the bar lounge area, there was just me and a couple to my left. And the gal sitting to my left with, at the time, her boyfriend said, uh, hey, how are you? I haven't seen you here before. I go, oh, I just moved here and I'm new in the area. And she goes, oh, it's great. She goes, you live right near here? I said, yeah, I just live right across the way. And she goes, oh, I live right next, I live in the building right next to that. And we started talking for a few minutes and she said, what do you do? And I said, how much time do you have? And she kind of gave me a look and she's like, oh. I said, yeah, it's a really long story. I I really don't want to get into it. She goes, oh, okay, no problem. So I was getting ready to leave. And she said, hey, uh, I don't know if you have any plans on Saturday, but I'm having an event here. She goes, I have a cigar business. I have a cigar store at the airport in Orlando. 
And I'm like, really? She goes, yeah, I'm having a, an event here on Saturday, and I'd really like it, you know, if you could come. And I said, I'll tell you what, I will try to make it. So I showed up on Saturday, and it was crowded, and I got a quick bite to eat, and we talked briefly, but she was busy doing everything with her customers, and so I didn't stay long, and I said, hey, I just want to thank you for inviting me. I really had a good time, and she goes, you're leaving already? I said, yeah, I'm leaving. I said, you know, no problem. She goes, listen. She goes, I would love to hear more about your story. Uh, Here's my card, and I'm like, okay, thank you very much. So I got home, and I sent a quick text message. I said, hey, I just want to thank you again for the invite. I appreciate it. Hey, if you want to get together and talk tomorrow, uh, I'll be down there at about 6 o'clock. She goes, that would be great. So V met me down there at 6 o'clock. 39 years old, African-American, father from Nigeria, mom from Louisiana. And we sat there for several hours, and I told her my story, and she was just blown away. She could not believe that my life was turned upside down because I said all lives matter, every single one. And we talked about as many topics as we could until the restaurant closed. And from that day forward, uh, we developed a fabulous friendship. I have now become extremely close with her mom and her dad and her brother and his wife and all of her friends. Uh, They're like a second family to me. I've been to Orlando on many occasions to uh, celebrate holidays. We go there for the Super Bowl. Uh, Recently, I flew to Las Vegas to be at her mom's 65th birthday celebration uh when v turned 40 i set everything up at napa and she and her family had never been to napa before and they came to sacramento for the weekend and we just had the best time and she's truly one of the 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 best friends that i have uh in life and i've met so many great people through her but i I thought about mike and what he said you know sit down with somebody that doesn't look like you doesn't sound like you Maybe, you know, different ethnicity, different generation, and you find out how much you truly have in common. And V and I have so much in common that I feel like she's been a lifelong friend, so much so that I even did a podcast on meeting her and the lessons that I think we can all learn from just sitting down with a stranger. And it's just amazing, you know, how things work. Speaking of strangers, as I reflect back on the three years to this day, I was sitting at Cadavadera Golf Club in September with the general manager from Lexus of Roseville. And it was a Thursday, and we were out there at about 5.30 in the afternoon sitting on the veranda. And I was about two weeks away, maybe three weeks away, from moving and relocating to Miami. We were packing up the house. We were getting everything in order. And I was sitting there talking to Patrick. And all of a sudden, this guy comes and he sits right next to me at the table. And he looks at me. And I've never seen him before. And he goes, I can't effing believe what happened to you. And he goes, and I don't even like you. And I said, do I know you? He goes, no, we've never met. I started laughing. I go, but you don't like me. He started laughing. He goes, well, I don't like you because of your radio show. And I started laughing. I go, yeah, I hear that a lot. And we talked and he said, I just want to let you know, you know, I'm a big supporter. I've got a suite and I've got tickets and I'm done. Uh, I'm done. 
After what they did to you, I'm done. And he talked to me for like 15 minutes. And he got up and left. And after I got done with Patrick, I reached out to a individual that works at Cotabadero. And I said, hey, listen, um, Scott came up to me and he goes, Scott. And I said, yeah. And I said, hey, can you share me uh, the phone number? And he goes, yeah, no problem. So he gave me Scott's number and I texted him that night. And I said, hey, I just want to say I, it was great meeting you, and uh, I really appreciate your support. He goes, hey, you want to golf next week? I said, yeah, sure. So we went out and golfed, and in the middle of the round, he goes, what are you going to do? I go, what do you mean? He goes, what, what are you going to do with your life? And I said, well, I'm starting a podcast in three weeks. And he goes, what can I do for you? And I said, well, I go, you know, if you can sponsor me, I'd be grateful. He said, just, just tell me what you want. I said, well, I said, I, I, I need sponsors. He goes, I'm in. Just like that. He said, I'm in. He goes, I own several businesses, but one of them is a plumbing company, and I'm going to see if we can advertise my plumbing company, New Work Plumbing, on your podcast. He goes, I'll get back to you in a little bit. A couple of days go by. He goes, we're all good. He goes, I talked to, we had a meeting. He goes, we're going to sponsor you. And I'm like, I cannot thank you enough. Uh, I just cannot thank you enough. Somebody that did not know me, had never met me, I mean, knew who I was, but was so outraged and so bothered by what happened to me that he just wanted to help me. And to this day, New Works Plumbing, still with me. And I'm so grateful when I get text messages or I receive emails from people that tell me that they use New Works Plumbing. And I cannot thank New Works enough for what they've done for me. And if I ever become financially independent where I don't need an income anymore, I will still do my podcast and I'll do all the advertising for New Works Plumbing for free and I I won't charge them a dime because of loyalty. I am a huge believer in loyalty. It's, It's one of the... The, the, the top traits that I think anyone can have. And the fact that this individual would offer that to me, and we have since become good friends, and whenever I'm back in Sacramento, we get together, and I, I can't thank him and New Works enough. And you really find out, and there have been so many other people that have stepped forward as well, but they were there from day one, and I'm grateful, grateful for their support. You know, I look back on these three years and I think we all grow and I think that we all learn from experiences. I do enjoy doing my podcast. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't enjoy it more than announcing NBA basketball or doing my radio show, but I, but I enjoy it. I've enjoyed some of the interviews that I've had, such as Charles Barkley. Charles was great. Charles was one of the first people to call me after I lost my job. He didn't have my number. He reached out and got it from someone. And then Charles ended up being my very first guest on my podcast. And I'm grateful for that. Paul Westfall called me the evening of June 2nd. Three years ago today, Paul Westfall called me. And he talked and he just said, I cannot believe this happened to you. He goes, I want to let you know I'm praying for you and Star and I'm praying for your family. And we talked for, I don't know, five minutes, seven minutes. 
And I said, hey, Paul, your phone call means the world to me. Thank you very much. And then about five, six weeks later, I get another phone call from Paul. And he said, hey, I just want to let you know, every single day I get up and I pray for you. And I pray for your family. And we had a nice talk. And I said, Paul, thank you very much. You know, I, I, I can't even begin to put in the words what your support means. And about two weeks later, I'm on Twitter and I see Mike Lupica, who's dear friends of Paul Westfall. And he said, Paul wanted me to let everyone know that he's been diagnosed with brain cancer. And this was on a Sunday late in the day that I saw the tweet. And I called Paul the next morning and he answered his phone and it was a somber, sad, heartfelt conversation that lasted maybe three minutes. And I said, Paul, I want you to know this. I know you're not on social media, but I am. And you have the entire country praying for you. Everyone is praying for you, Paul. And he said, Grant, he goes, just so you know, that's okay. I'm praying for you. I said, hey, Paul, I'm going to be fine. I have my health. I'm going to be fine. I go, I can't thank you enough. And it was sad. And I could hear how down he was in his voice. And I said, Paul, I love you, buddy. And I'm fighting for you. I'm praying for you. And so many other people are as well. And he started to break down on the phone a little bit. And I did too. And I said, you take care of Paul. That's the last conversation I had with Paul Westfall. He was gone six months later. Another great podcast that I had was with Sean Salisbury. And Sean talked about Christmas morning, driving from Dallas to Houston and picking up a homeless person, a man named Russell, on the side of the road. And it was one of the most amazing stories that I have ever heard. It was just a a tearjerker. And to this day, Russell is part of Sean's family and vice versa. And I received a direct message on Twitter from an individual who had reached out to me and said that after listening to my interview with Sean, that it changed his complete perspective, that he was down on the dumps, and that he was thinking of, you know, going down a road that was obviously not a good road, suicidal, had broken apart from his family, was lost, had no direction, and he said that after listening to my conversation with Sean Salisbury that it changed him and that he was able to get back and reunite with his family and he thanked me profusely and I told Sean and you know how emotional Sean is Sean broke up a little bit I said you know what Sean I said by you coming on my podcast you may have just saved someone's life and I talked about that with Ryan Anderson too who's girlfriend at the time when he was in New Orleans committed suicide and the impact that Monty Williams had on Ryan and what that experience was like and how Ryan 
then really dedicated his life to suicide prevention and uh, getting out and speaking about it. And I had Ryan on an interview courtside, and we talked about this during the podcast that I had with Ryan, but I had him on about an hour and a half or so before the game when he was playing, and we went over the whole thing, and it was just um, an incredible uh, conversation. And then I had an individual that night come up to me with tears in his eyes, and he said, hey, I just had to say this to you. He said, can you give this to Ryan? And I said, sure. What's up? I go, are you okay? He goes, I'm okay now. He goes, after listening to your interview with Ryan, he goes, I really believe you saved my life. And I said, hold on a minute. And Ryan was actually out on the floor warming up. And I said, come here. And I went over to Ryan and I told him the story. And Ryan went over and gave the guy a hug and talked to him. And, you know, you don't understand the power of a microphone in front of you and how many people that you can affect either positively or negatively. And you don't think about it when you're doing these type of interviews. You don't think about, gee, you know what? There may be somebody in the audience that's listening that's going through just a horrible time, but your interview can be uplifting to them, like Sean's interview about Russell and changing his life around, or Ryan Anderson talking about the suicide of his girlfriend and the effect that it had on his life and the impact that Monty Williams had on him. You don't really think about stories like this affecting people while you're actually in the middle of the interview. And then Monty, of course, lost his wife in a tragic car accident and you know, how everything came full circle, and then it was Ryan who was there to help out Monty. You know, life is so unpredictable. You don't know what tomorrow has in store for you. But as I reflect back on June 2nd of 2020, there's been a lot of good in my life. I still wish I had my career. But if you can have a positive impact in society, if you can try to help out people, If you can stay true to your values, which I've always done since I was old enough to understand and comprehend things that were being told to me by my parents and by the first principle of my church, the inherent worth and dignity of every person, I've always lived by that mantra. You know, I didn't talk about my religion on the air. I didn't talk about sex on the air. I didn't talk about politics on the air. I talked about sports on the air. You know, if you listen to me every day in Sacramento, I wasn't talking about my life story. I did share stories about my dad, though. But I didn't share stories about, you know, going to Sunday school and, you know, every every Sunday getting in the car and driving an hour into New York. And uh, the best days for me were the days that we got out early because we were going to a Giants game or a Jets game or a Rangers game that all started at 1 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, my dad was such a big part of the Community Church of New York, and it was part of my upbringing and the values that my dad and my mom, but I always talk about my mom, uh, her life was uh, so difficult because of the birth of uh, my sister who was born uh, brain injured with several ailments. Uh, my mom wrote a book called Brainchild, 
which was a diary of basically our childhood and what it's been like for my sister who still needs, you know, around the clock uh, uh, care. But it was it was unbelievably difficult for my mom. And the sanctuary for my dad was us, my brother and I, and our love for sports and going to games. And I've tried to uh, pass that on. And I want to read this letter. I don't know if I've ever read this letter before. People ask me, gee, what do you miss the most about Sacramento? I said, easily, I miss the fans. I miss the people. It was so great being in Sacramento for the playoffs in April and doing a watch party at various restaurants and becoming reunited with so many people. I received this handwritten note, oh, I would say probably, I don't know, 10 years ago now. I'll read it for you. One of my heroes is Grant Napier. This was, by the way, a essay that he had to write for school, which on the top says A minus. One of my heroes is Grant Napier. Grant Napier is the TV voice of the Sacramento Kings. He also has his own radio show on Sports 1140. Grant is my hero because when the Kings were going to move, I was so sad, I cried. We went to the last game of the year two years ago, and we did not know if the Kings would ever be our team again. I would listen to the radio every day when I went to boxing. Grant always would say not to give up. The Kings have not left yet. Then last year, Kevin Johnson helped Kings help keep the Kings here. He talked with Commissioner David Stern and said, give us a chance to keep the Kings. Every day, Grant told us to keep hoping, and we might be able to keep the Kings. I did not think the Kings would stay, so I asked my dad. He told me, don't worry until Grant Napier says they are leaving. The Kings got to stay because Mayor Johnson fought for us. Grant Napier kept all of us informed so we knew what was going on. I like to listen to Grant and Jerry Reynolds on TV. Grant gets mad at the stupid refs, just like me and my dad. He is very happy when the Kings win and very mad when they lose, just like me. The only thing I don't like about Grant Napier is he does not like the Dallas Cowboys like me. He likes the New York Giants. I met Grant Napier and took my picture with him. I was very happy. He even made fun of my Cowboys hat and jacket by Joseph. The reason why I got an A- minus is there's one, two, three, four, five words that are circled that are misspelled. Because to me, that's an A+. Joseph, an incredibly special young man who I watched grow up. His dad would take him to the games, not every game. And one time he showed up with a Vladdy Dibach jersey. He was just a little boy. And I said, come here. And I walked him across and I said, Vladdy, I want you to meet Joseph. He's a very special young man. And Joseph used to go and raise money for UNICEF. And he would bring the UNICEF boxes filled with money and give it to the King's Community Foundation in conjunction with raising money for UNICEF. And he was so proud to raise money. And I introduced him to Scott Moak, the PA announcer. And every time Joseph would come, 
Scott would go, do you have another surprise for me? And Joseph goes, yep, I sure do. And a UNICEF box filled with money. And Joseph was an incredible athlete, a boxer, played football, and he has grown into one heck of a young man. At age 16, he started his own landscape business to make money, uh, to pay to go to school. But during that time, Joseph was such a special young man that I made sure that he was at the groundbreaking ceremony of the Golden One Center with his dad. And there's still Joseph and all those pictures right next to me in his jacket and tie and his blue Kings construction helmet next to his dad there to celebrate the new era of Sacramento. It's the fans like Joseph, who I met as a little boy, who has now grown up to be a fine man, who I hope one day will bring his kids to the games. That's what I miss the most about Sacramento. I keep this letter in a very special place. I have it wrapped in protective plastic so nothing can happen to it because I want to preserve this letter for the rest of my life. That's how special it is. You know, I think back of what happened to me on June 2nd of 2020, and I think how sad it is that there were still some, although they're very much in a minority, that have a problem with the phrase, all lives matter, every single one. All lives matter, every single one is not left open for interpretation. Every single one took the gray area out of anything that someone may have interpreted by saying all lives matter. All lives matter, every single one is not left for interpretation. It's very clear, okay? There is no gray area. All lives couldn't matter if black lives didn't matter. All lives couldn't matter if Asian lives didn't matter, and so on and so forth. Why is it that there are still some that are caught up with all lives matter? Really? All lives matter, every single one. I want to have that put on my tombstone someday when I take my last breath and I get put into the ground. I would love that on my tombstone because I've always believed that and I will believe that until I take my last breath. And the people that I've met throughout this journey, doesn't matter what color, what religion, what your sexuality, didn't care, still don't care, doesn't matter to me. I've had so many phenomenal friendships that I still am very close to. The number of people that reached out to me after June 2nd, 2020 were incredible. It was very sad that just about all of them said, you know, I can't speak publicly on this because I'm afraid of losing my job. And again, our lives begin to end the day we remain silent about things that matter. But during that period of time, there were so many people in this country that were paranoid and they were afraid to speak up. And I actually said, I understand. I get it. You have a family. You know, I understand if you speak up in support of me, you're going to be labeled as a racist for some reason. That's the era that we were living at in the summer of 2020. Cancel culture is a horrible thing. I'm grateful for those that have supported me. I'm grateful for those 
in the media that have supported me, such as Bill Maher on his HBO show where he's talked about me not once but twice and how wrong it was and how wrong cancer culture is and how wrong what happened to me was. I'm grateful for someone like Bill Maher and his platform to speak on my behalf. I'm grateful for all the stories in the New York Post that have supported me by Phil Mushnick. I'm grateful for Joe Concha and so many other national members of the media that have supported me, such as Brian Kilmeade, who had me on his One Nation show on Fox News back in April. I'm grateful for the support, and I'm grateful that I still have an opportunity to talk to you every day via Listen app and on my YouTube shows. And I also want to thank Jeff Holden, who got me going with my podcast. And I didn't know anything about podcasts. I didn't know how to distribute anything. I really didn't. I didn't know anything about podcasts. And Jeff taught me, basically, it was like, you know, podcast 101 for dummies. That was me. Seriously, that was me. And I remember producing my first podcast, which talked about what happened to me. And uh, it was, you know, I wanted to see how it would go over. I had no idea. And I remember receiving messages from Jeff during that period of time. And he was like, oh, wow. He goes, you got, you're up to 50 downloads already. And I started laughing. I'm like, Jeff, come on. And he goes, no, that's really good. And then like an hour goes by, he goes, you're over a hundred. And I'm like, Jeff, come on. And he goes, no, that's really good for your first podcast. Well, fast forward to where we are right now, June 2nd, 2023. My yearly downloads from January 1st to right now, 727,777. I'm reading the numbers verbatim off my analytical chart, my dashboard. 727,777. I'm grateful for Jeff, who taught me how to edit, taught me how to upload, taught me everything that I needed to know to get the ball rolling. I'm thankful for so many others that have reached out to me and help me along the way, whether it was Justin with my graphics or Max with my store on my website. And if I'm leaving you out, I apologize. I, I am doing all of this off the top of my head like I do everything off the top of my head. But I'm grateful for those of you that have reached out and said, hey, what can I do to help? You know, you people are freaking awesome. And so I just wanted to reflect back, give you some of my thoughts from three years ago. Uh, I do not feel that what happened to me was just. I feel it's a travesty. Uh, I'm really hoping that my lawsuit is able to move through the judicial system and be heard by a jury because that's what I want. I don't have a crystal ball. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. If I prevail in the lawsuit, great. If for some reason I don't prevail, it doesn't change the fact that Bonneville International panicked And what they did to me was a travesty, plain and simple, a travesty that a corporation that's basically the arm of the Mormon church, okay, who has an entire leadership panel of white men and white women 
would fire me because I said all lives matter, every single one. That is an absolute disgrace. And Bonneville International, regardless of whether they prevail in this lawsuit or I prevail, knows that they panicked, knows that they made a mistake. And I'm really hoping that a jury in their courtroom sees it that way as well. Again, I don't have a crystal ball. Only time will tell. But regardless of how that lawsuit goes, I will always, always be on the side of all lives matter, every single one. I also want to thank Crowd Ultra as they have been with me from day one as well. And I love answering questions from the fans. Just go to CrowdUltra.com and maybe I'll answer your question on my next podcast. David asks, will Denver's elevation have any impact on the finals? No, not at all. Um, first of all, you know, with the days off between games, Miami will get acclimated and that's not an issue. I really believe it's a non-issue. Brendan asks, did you think Michael Porter Jr. was going to turn out like he did when the Nuggets drafted him? Everyone knew that Michael Porter Jr., if his back was healthy, would be good. I know that Vladi and Peja and the Kings loved him, and they would have taken him. They, would have, they were going to take Michael Porter Jr. second if he were healthy. They loved him, but they couldn't take him because of his back, which was a red flag, and it's still a red flag. Uh, but the guy's a really good player. Casey asks, what do you think about the whole Dodgers sisters of perpetual indulgence situation? I think it's an outrage. I ripped them on a rant earlier in the week. You can go back and check it out. The Dodgers deserve all of the criticism that they are getting. And I'm happy that uh, players have spoken out in critical terms about the Dodgers and having that organization part of Pride Night later this month. Dylan wants to know who wins the Stanley Cup. And in how many games? Well, it's hard for me to be objective here. My best friend is the president of hockey operations for the uh, Vegas Golden Knights who put the whole team together. Uh, I'm going to say Vegas wins this in six. I think the long layoff for Florida could be an issue here, particularly uh, with goaltending. Ryan wants to know, are you surprised by what Monty Williams will be making with the Pistons? I am. You know, the biggest contract uh, for any coach in the NBA. I, I am surprised. Absolutely. I'm not surprised that they hired him. I mean, everyone knows Monty Williams is a really good coach, but I am surprised with the dollars. Yes, no doubt about that. Ben wants to know, what's your take on the new NFL kickoff rule? You know, Ben, I'm not really crazy about it. I'm not crazy about it, but I got to be honest. I've got to see it first. All right. I I don't know how it's going to be. I don't know if it's really going to have an impact. So why don't we wait first and see exactly what it, what kind of impact, if any, it has on the game. Again, CrowdUltra.com. Just go to CrowdUltra.com and maybe I'll answer your question on next week's podcast. It's time for Brent, Brent, Brent. And today's rant is brought to you by Bennett's Restaurants with two locations currently, Sacramento and Roseville, and soon in Rockland. Go to Bennett'sRestaurants.com. Check out their menu, food to go, and everything they have to offer. Make sure you get down there this weekend for the weekend brunch and their weekend prime rib. Over 50 different types of wine available by the glass. That's Bennett'sRestaurants.com. So Adam Silver spoke to the media before game one last night between Denver and Miami and said that the John Morant situation will be dealt with 
at the end of the finals. Quote, we've uncovered a fair amount of additional information, I think, since I was first asked about the situation. I will say we probably could have brought it to a head now, but we made the decision, and I believe the Players Association agrees with us that it would be unfair to these players and these teams in the middle of the series to announce the results of the investigation. Given that we're, of course, in the offseason, he has now been suspended by the Grizzlies indefinitely, so nothing would have changed anyway in the next few weeks. It seemed better to park that at the moment, at least any public announcement. And my sense now is that shortly after the conclusion of the finals, we will announce the outcome of that investigation. Here's the bottom line. John Morant, not going to be playing for a long time. All right, because if it wasn't that significant of a suspension, it really wouldn't be an issue to announce it during the NBA Finals. But this is going to be a very lengthy suspension. And I can't fault the commissioner or the NBA at all as it relates to John Morant. He's got no one to blame but himself. Plain and simple. He needs to look in the mirror and figure it out. But you won't be seeing John Morant on the basketball court anytime soon in all likelihood and that's my rant for today that's my podcast for today thank you very much for reflecting with me on three years ago today and some stories along the way i hope you have a fabulous weekend talk to you next week so long everybody